Welcome to Leading on Purpose with Nicole Bendeley. What does it take to lead yourself and your teams to high performance with ease? Today, you'll discover simple practices that separate exceptional leaders from the rest. Now, here is your host, Nicole Bendeley. Hi there. Welcome to Leading on Purpose. I'm Nicole Bendeley. Thank you for joining us today. So today's episode is all about how to drive greater business results through organizational culture. And this is such an important and timely topic because as my guest, Marty, who I'll introduce to you in a minute, will attest to, we are in the middle of a workplace culture paradigm shift. And this is having a transformative impact on how we work, where we work, and even when we work. Now, this culture change is challenging how our human capital processes and systems you know, are, are, are functioning, right? And this requires us to step back and evaluate practices to ensure that our leaders, our organizations, our strategies are in alignment with our organizational values while we drive organizational performance. And in an era of remote work and online communications, company culture is no longer bounded by walls or the type of business we do. It's tied to the attitudes, the behaviors, the values of the people who create the culture. Now, throw in the increasing competition for talent and the increasing desire for employees to find a shared purpose or connection with their employers, it's clear that true leadership requires a new set of skills and a new way of thinking. And today, we have a global expert in culture transformation and human capital to help us navigate this new world of work. So I'm thrilled to welcome Marty Parker, CEO of Waterstone Human Capital and the author of the groundbreaking new book, The Culturepreneur, How High Performance Leaders Craft Culture as Competitive Advantage. Marty, thank you for joining me today. Welcome. Well, it's great to be here, Nicole. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So full disclosure to our listeners, right? Marty and I work very closely together at, at Waterstone Human Capital. And as I've shared with you all in um, a previous podcast, you know, I took the leap to join Waterstone in great part because of Marty's vision and because of his and his team's dedication to truly helping organizations build high-performing cultures. And I was inspired right, to transition from, you know, a, a longtime uh, family business to join Marty and his team because I was inspired by the clarity of vision and the commitment Waterstone has put behind not only inspiring organizations to build high-performance cultures, but to provide those tools and the systems and the resources to actually make it happen. So, so Marty, let's start with the title of your new book. Let's start with the title, The Culturepreneur, How High-Performance Leaders Craft Culture as a Competitive Advantage. What exactly is a culturepreneur? Yeah. Well, thanks, Nicole, and it's great working with you. Um, let's, um, I think, to understand this kind of new word, if you will, it's more of an ethos, kind of got to break it down into its component parts. We, we all know that culture is really the collective behavior of an organization, and it's created by leaders, typically. And it makes organizations unique. It's really, it's really your competitive advantage because you can copy strategy and tactics. You can recruit and develop people, which is clearly important and affects culture. But to duplicate the collective behavior of an organization is it's just impossible. So by that and by extension, culture is either your competitive advantage 
or your competitive disadvantage. Now, entrepreneurs, the second half of this kind of new word, culturepreneur, entrepreneurs, as we know, are really innovators. They're really about creating value through uncovering opportunities. So they are those innovators, they're problem solvers, and they drive growth, and they create social, economic, and stakeholder value. I mean, think about all the entrepreneurs, where we'd be without the Sarah Blakey's and the Sam Walton's and the Casey Irving's and in Canada, the Frank Sobeys, Jimmy Pattison's, uh, et cetera. So today, really, entrepreneurship is, is also more of an attitude. There's many family CEOs and leaders and professional manage, managers who exhibit these kind of entrepreneurial characteristics. So if you think about the, the melding together of these two forces, they really combine to form one new ethos, culturepreneurs. And these are, in our view, leaders who innovate using culture with a new way to lead that puts their people first and their culture at the center of their business strategy to drive sustained competitive advantage and growth in their organizations, but also in people and in society. Awesome. So this truly is a new way of leading. And, and you know, before we dive into what that looks like, you know, Marty, tell us about your journey yourself as a leader, right? Did, did you wake up one day and become a culturepreneur or realize that this was the way to be? Or what's your journey been like? Yeah, not quite. <laughs> it, was not, uh, it was not a rebirth, so to speak. It kind of happened over time. I, I wasn't, you know, and, and to kind of make matters in some ways more confusing, I, I wasn't born a culturepreneur. That's for sure. Um, there's really been a couple of chapters of my leadership life to this to this point. You know, first, the first kind of leader I was promoted because I got results uh, like so many others based on what I was doing at the time. And, and maybe because I had some leadership acumen uh, or at least, you know, the signs of, of being a fairly good communicator and having an interest in people. But on top of that, I, I really tried to do the right things and I read the right books and went to the seminars I, I thought would help me or that people thought would. Um, and, uh, but it was generally at, in those days really about getting results primarily through others. But, but if I wasn't, I would step in and do my best to drive them. And I was certainly in many ways the same person as I am today. And in terms of my personal styles, you know, I was energetic and driven and passionate and so on. And I worked, I worked very hard. And in turn, I expected others to work hard uh, as well. And, you know, I said recently, uh, Nicole, and it, it worked at least for a while. <laughs> uh, and, and then really almost overnight, but not, nothing really happens quite like that. But then it stopped. It, it wasn't working to the same degree. And I, and I started to notice that particularly younger professionals were looking for more and, and more meant more meaning, more purpose and connection. They were you know, we, we all heard and started to kind of struggle with millennials at the time who were searching for their passions and their work. And if they didn't find it, um, and it didn't matter to them, that is, if they were successful, they kind of spoke and they spoke with their feet uh, and, and left. And um, this really became a problem. And I noticed over time, at least on my teams, became a pattern. And and at a point in time, and this was more of a realization, I realized that, you know, I, I wasn't going to be able to change them. None of us were. I needed to change. The question was, into what? To what? And, and how? 
Uh, and so really chapter two, to some degree of my leadership life uh, started around that time. And, and the first start, I started, started to say, well, look, I'm a marketer by training and by background. You know, if I don't know what, who my target market is or what I'm supposed to do, I should maybe ask and do some research. And so I started asking about what they wanted, their passions, their loves. And, um, and, and I started as an entrepreneur as I could to, to do my best, at least in the early days, to shape their roles around, around those things. And, and frankly, I started to share mine. Um, some of them were obvious, you know, at the, in those days, an active young parent, not, not, not so many young kids now and not, not a young parent anymore. But um, I found something really incredible in that interaction. And, and that was that I was really, as we would in, in the natural course of time in our relationships that are important, these work relationships are very important, but I found something incredible was I was building these deeper connections and, and, and this was when something started to change. And, and the real outcome was they stayed and they mm-hmm. had far more enjoyment in what they were doing. And so we started, uh, and you'll see this, to really craft our culture in the firm at Waterstone uh, around what we needed to do to drive success, uh, really making sure our purpose was clear. And our recent engagement surveys show that our people are really aligning to our purpose and finding great clarity in it. Um, we started to look at, you know, making it okay to share ideas and, and even fail, or, or but but making it safe to do that. And we really have and are continuing to work hard to unlock people's passions and, and the meaning and align those to ours and and better really understanding who they are as people and uh, and 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 recognizing their contributions to things and not only or not just their outcomes. Um, and so, you know, we really are and have been pushing ourselves to adapt to this. And so, so much of this was kind of there and laid out in front of us uh, through our Canada's most admired winners, both CEOs and corporate cultures. Uh, but, but it really took kind of some, some challenges in order for us to learn this. And, and, uh, and frankly, it was through this personal change that I could see that a leadership renaissance was underway. And so, we started uh, in building our high-performance teams and cultures program to, to help other organizations do what we had, in fact, been doing for ourselves. And I guess most importantly, leading us to this discussion here today, it, it was really these combinations of my experiences and, frankly, my own failures um, that uh, with other team members and leaders that gave birth to the concept and, and now the book, The Culturepreneur. Awesome. And so, you know, it's interesting because I'm curious. I've got all these questions now that I probably haven't asked you before, but are coming to mind. Um, <laughs> no, but around, you know, the leadership journey, because I think you are probably similar to many of our listeners from the fact that, right, the traditional, you know, uh, you're learning, you've, you, you, you have been waking up and were woken up to a new way of leadership, right? The, uh, it, as you term in the book, bespoke leadership, tailoring your approach to the needs of your team um, and each individual team member to get the best from them, right? To meet them where they are at, to lead them to where the organization needs them to be and where they can then choose whether they want to stay or opt for a new type of culture that's a better fit for them. But I think many leaders are listening and saying, hey, I'm like that too. I realize I'm going to need to shift. The way I'm working isn't landing as effectively as it could. What was the hardest part for you, Marty? Like, What was the hardest piece, the transformational piece for you as a leader? What did you need to let go of 
or learn to do differently? It sounds so simple, but you know, when we when we develop a, a pattern, and in our executive search side of our business, we're we're pretty darn good at identifying our candidates' patterns or our clients' patterns in terms of their culture and finding candidates that meet that. But we do it by looking at those repeated successes or lack thereof. And my pattern was a reasonable, successful one. I found a way. Uh, but the way wasn't always necessarily in everyone's best interest. Not that it, it, it challenged, I don't think, uh, any, any ethical boundaries or drove people to the end of the earth or anything like that. But it was a performance-based um, a performance kind of based program, if you will. Not that I looked at it that way. I was frankly just being me. And, and my tendency is, um, is, is to listen, learn, and work harder. And sometimes you need to work smarter, not harder. And this was the, so the most difficult thing was to be able to change myself, to pivot myself around unlocking potential as opposed to uh, over the long term, as opposed to realizing objectives in the short. And I think what helped me, I had had a long series of, uh, of an athletic career and, and as long in coaching at, at high levels. But it was, you know, in coaching young kids and particularly young girls at one time, I realized that, you know, their, the, the, their, their greatest, um, the kind of greatest achievements came from the deepest connections. And this was not something I taught necessarily. Maybe I fostered it uh, possibly on purpose, but I think we just had the right group of kids. Uh, and you, we clearly had to have a lot of talent, but we had just an incredible and selfish group of kids over a period of time. And I watched these girls really connect and do things for each other that no coach could necessarily draw out of them. And, the, and, and for once maybe, uh, or one of the early stages, I kind of got out of the way mm. and let it happen and, and, and enabled, try to keep the environment. And then what do you do when you see great connections is you keep the connections going and you make sure that you're involved in that. So countless texts through parents, phones or emails and, and communication and an opportunity for them to express uh, really and a reminder and a constant reminder of a focus of where we needed to go at the same time. And I think it was through a series of those experiences and realizing I'd been through those before, but maybe not as pronounced, that this could be done in the workplace right. you know, and uh, sound so simple, but that, that possibly even I could by just adapting, by changing my pattern, by interrupting my pattern and my style. Um, and, and I'm still far from, uh, uh, you know, 100% perfect at doing that. I'm, I'm a pretty self-directed, uh, results-oriented individual, but, but I also recognize that if there's deep connection amongst team members, that the, the, the propensity and possibilities for higher outcomes is so great. And if they can connect with each other and their organization, and you enable that and unlock it in some way, I mean, the, 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 uh, the possibilities are endless. So I think that's kind of what I, what the toughest thing was to get a little less focused on performance, not to not say performance isn't, as important it is, mm -hmm. and more focused on the people and the connections that they have with each other first and the organization second. Uh, that that really kind of, uh, if anything, was the epiphany that that uh, that I realized, and it required me to change my own, disrupt my own patterns, 
uh, in order to get there. And, and it, that's a constant thing. That's not something that, uh, that, that, you know, just easily comes to me every day. Right, right. Okay, so you know you're you're turning off autopilot, right? You're being very mm-hmm. intentional in 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 your your self awareness and and how you're leading. You know, um, I'm curious because you mentioned Canada's most admired um, corporate cultures, right? And and there's 17 years of history and celebrating and recognizing uh, best in class cultures, organizational cultures here in Canada, and with that comes a lot of data and research. So this past year, what have you learned? What are the things that high performance organizations are doing just at a high level? And then when we come back from break, we'll, we'll dive into it. Yeah, sure. Um, so I think we learned that there were three key themes this year, Nicole. And, and you know, we, we interview all of these organizations and their executive teams, CEOs and CHROs are a requirement to be there uh, or head HR leader. And, and we learned so much. It's incredible. But there were three themes screaming out at us this year. And the first was that, sounds obvious, but, um, and this is in a year of uh, this past year in 2020, when COVID was still new new to us all. We're doing these meetings digitally and not in person like we normally do. And number one, it was that culture is, is something that organizations are constantly now realizing they must work on. It's, it's like personal health, right? Uh, that you're, it doesn't matter if you feel it's great or if it's not in great shape, you're always focusing on something or another. And it, 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 in he listening to that, we realized it's become central, not an add-on, not something, hey, we have our culture. It's just happened now. What do we do with it? It's, it's really something you're focusing on and using. Secondly, that the uh, that organizations and their team members really want their own personal and professional development, that they want to grow development, particularly when they're in alignment with that organizational purpose and, and uh and they, they want that, you know, you think about what, what I've read, you know, not too many months ago is that the average North American uh, 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 child at the, at the age of 12 has had nine coaches. Wow. I'm not talking about teachers. I'm talking about could be a, a tutor. It could be a coach for a sport or an activity or it's incredible, right? I mean, very, very different. So they're used to that. They want development. They want growth. And then finally, that... Um, that organizations are really focused on creating an environment today that are that is psychologically safe, certainly physically safe. We've all learned of the importance of that, even some of us who haven't been focused on it, but psychologically safe so that people feel free to take risks and share ideas and fail or fail fast, but that there, that leads to things like innovation and, and, it, and it creates an environment where people want to stay because they can hear their voice. And that, again, is because We've raised kids over the last 20 plus years, 30 years in a different way than we had ever raised them before. They had a voice at the table. They got to choose their vacations or have input into it. They heard things and had access to things through open parents of the internet that they that we didn't have access to unless, unless you know, by some unique set of circumstances. So really that, that culture is, is a constant thing and is becoming central, constant thing to work on and becoming central, that, that individuals want to develop themselves in alignment with their own gifts and talents and passions and the organizational purpose. And thirdly, that, that this environment of, of safety, of psychological safety is so critically important. Those were the real key trends that, that we heard in this past year. Okay, great. Thanks, Marty. When we get back, we're going to take a quick break. And when we get back, we're going to dive into how to apply those three themes to your own organization. Stay tuned. We'll be right back.
Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. One of the many things this past year made clear is that the world of work has been forever changed, and it is especially evident in the way leaders must now lead if they want the best from their people. At the Waterstone Culture Institute, we provide leaders with the tools and practices most essential to high-performing teams and cultures. Discover the three things the most effective leaders will do in 2021 with our free webinar. Visit waterstonehc.com slash culturewebinar and watch it today. It's time to serve, learn, change the world. Tune in each week for the power of young people to change the world. Hosted by NYLC's CEO, Amy Muirs. The program is a forum for both young people and the adults who love and support them. We make connections with others through stories of change, partnership, and new perspectives of issues facing the world today. Be sure to join us every Thursday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time or anytime on demand on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. The Lord Jesus Christ presents a doctrine through the Apostle Paul for us so that we might teach the word to others. Hear and interpret these words of wisdom each week on the radio program, Why Paul? With hosts Michael and Michelle Mix, David Reed and Pamela Lampton through their ministry, 14th Street Ministries. Michael, Michelle and Pamela are dedicated to sharing these words with you so that you might pass it along to others. Listen every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time and 4 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are tuned into Leading on Purpose with Nicole Bendeley. Discover more about Nicole and how the team at Waterstone Human Capital helps leaders to build high-performance teams and cultures at waterstonehc.com. Now, back to Leading on Purpose. All right. Welcome back, everyone. So, so Marty, you were saying that one of the key themes, right, is that organizations, those who are performing well and by performing, you know, driving exceptional business results are actively working on their culture. That's not an active thought or sorry, afterthought. It's not reactionary. It's very intentional. And so in your book, The Culturepreneur, you introduce us to the Culturepreneur operating system. So, so tell us about that. Walk us through it. And, and why is it so essential to, you know, business performance at the end of the day? Yeah, sure. Um, well, um, I, I would say we've certainly um, learned as much about the, um, you know, about this putting culture at the center of your operating strategy as much as we've taught. I mean, uh, over the years, we've noticed that organizations who have a sustained competitive advantage really have culture at the center because it can't be copied. And, you know, to put it in, in the most simple terms I can, you know, what really what we've done is we've looked at these best practices and organized and synthesized um, these into this culturepreneur operating system. And it's really a, a strategic platform or a playbook, if you will, that really centers around culture. In other words, it's, it enables organizations to first understand their current culture through clear measurement, discussion, and analysis, and then to craft their culture or shape culture 
in a way that enables them to, to realize uh, their business results uh, to the best of their ability. And that's where it becomes at the, at the center. So it really enables you to craft and transform culture to support your business objectives and to drive competitive advantage. And we, we know unprecedented results. And it kind of works this way. We talked about measurement, uh, but also crafting or deciding and aligning your future cultures. And that needs to be done in an aligned way. We talked about this connection that people are feeling, well, you, this can't be done in a room with one or two people. This needs to be done with a leadership team. And by understanding and, and setting purpose, looking at values, behaviors, the existing culture, but also to determine the right training and development to drive the change. But but a big part of it is visioning what that culture needs to look like to get you there and then breaking it up in the component parts uh, and, and going through the change management to ensure that you're, 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 uh, you're, you're getting there. And then, of course, it's measuring the right things, not just to show the outcomes, but to show your progress towards those outcomes. And so it's really about measuring and crafting culture, aligning people and measuring progress. But again, just to, to take a quick step back, Nicole, what's often missed is this, this getting a clear picture or of the ideal future culture uh, that, that, organ, that you need to drive results. And you know, it's one thing to say, okay, it's easy to say, these are the objectives and how we want to get there. Let's go. But what's often missed is saying, okay, what are the behaviors we require in order to get there? Mm-hmm. Funny, we don't do that with our kids and our families very often. We know That's that, it's, uh, but we do it in, in the workplace all the time. And, it, and it's, you know, there's a lot that can be learned. So we call it the painted picture exercise, really determining what that needs to look like. Um, and, and then the, and, and then, and the leadership team needs to go through that, but then creating those steps and the changes required and looking at from where you are today, that measurement to where you want to go, that painted picture. And the, really the rest is about alignment and measurement. Alignment is, do we have the right purpose to align our people there? Do we have the right behavioral leadership and other competencies? Do we have the right team today? Or, or, or what are the skills and the training we need to get there? And then, of course, those, as we kind of talked about, the right measurements are key, too, and they're not the same for every organization. Certainly, there's the human capital ones, whether it's net promoter, um, whether it's looking at, uh, you know, your increasing retention rates and decreasing your recruiting costs, all those kinds of things. But there's things also out there like increasing your trust levels, which is really important based on some of the other things we talked about today. So what what are the key measurements? And then there are also measurements. There's the obvious, you know, revenue and EBITDA and growth objectives, which should be looked at and, and linked. But there are also maybe things like stakeholder measurements, your supply chain, things that will align that that kind of make your brand, your culture and your culture, your brand stickier, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so that's what the culturepreneur operating system is really designed to do is to operationalize culture in alignment with your objectives so that the behavioral change in the people part is not missed or an, apple or an afterthought. And that that is really, really important. And what we commonly see is anywhere from two to three times kind of revenue keg or growth, three to five times EBITDA growth. Those are the hard numbers. And, and more importantly, in some ways, um, that, that you're going to really increase, as we, as we mentioned, your retention rates and your referral rates and, and decrease your recruiting costs. And so, you know, what we say to folks all the time these days is, you know, ask yourself, you know, what the cost of not having a structured culture operating system 
which is in alignment with your strategic and business goals. If, if those two things work well together, the results, you, you're, the opportunity for your results are limitless. That team I talked about earlier of 12-year-old girls won a provincial championship, not because they had necessarily, you know, the, the, the greatest coaching or the greatest system, uh, or I think they just had a, they, first of all, I had a lot of talent that helps. They had a real commitment to each other and their goals and they did the right things and uh, along the way to get there. That was far more important than, than uh, some small adjustments that you would make against, you know, other elite uh, teams uh, is that they, they didn't want to let each other down and, and they put how they behave before. And we, adjust, we adjusted to them before what they wanted to achieve. And, and the outcomes in that case were, were positive. So, so let's unpack a couple of pieces there because, you know, it's interesting what's coming to mind, you know, uh, the, our listeners didn't have the advantage of, of listening to, you know, our keynote speaker from Canada's most admired uh, culture summit um, a few weeks ago, Michael McCain. But when he was speaking, he was talking about the importance of being very discerning, right? Being very discerning and having, when you have a very clear picture of the culture that you have and the culture that you're striving for, then people can either choose to be a part of it or opt out, or you can, and most importantly, be very discerning in your acquisition of talent, right? In your recruitment of talent. But that comes from really understanding your culture to date and also your future state. And so, when we look at that first step of the culturepreneur operating system and assessing, you know, where we are at, you know, in my experience, most organizations use, you know, a standard employee engagement survey, but that's only a piece of understanding current state, right? And measuring engagement does not necessarily measure culture, you know, completely. And so talk to us a little bit, Marty, at Waterstone, you know, some of them doesn't have to be all 10. I know we've got 10 behavioral drivers, you know, that are essential to a high performance culture, but what are the ones that really stand out today that are really essential for CEOs and their leadership teams to focus on when it comes to culture? Well, it's, there's a few different things. And I just want to pick up on something you said, because it's really important. I'm glad you brought it up. You know, engagement's really important. Engagement is really about measuring attitudes, how people feel about a certain thing. Culture, if, if it's done properly, should be measuring people's behaviors. And so uh-huh. it's important, by the way, because just because I have a strong feeling about something, I may feel really strongly uh, about, uh, you know, I use the example all the time of voter turnout. Uh, because it's gone down for a number of years and, uh, and that we should be doing something about this. And over dinner with friends or loved ones and a glass of wine or two, I might get a little louder about the topic. <laughs> but if someone, and this has actually happened to me, turned and ch- said to me, that's really interesting, Marty, and you sound quite, this sounds, you sound like you have a strong opinion on this. Have you ever uh, put a small ad out in your local newspaper or a website or driven people in a you know, local long-term care facility who don't drive to, to the polls or even, you know, send out a note to all your friends about voting on when the polls open. The truth of the matter is I have it. And so it's a perfect example of where your attitude doesn't reflect your behavior. So it's really important to measure both. Now, your other question was really about what we're seeing. And I think, you know, the question about what, a, what a, those 10 behaviors which we know are the predictors of high levels of performance. A lot of organizations look at their score and say, well, I'm not strong on all of them. I'm only strong on these two or three. 
What's really important is not what's ones are more important than others, but it, what is in alignment with who you are today? Mm-hmm. And, and, and this is, again, often missed. Are you strong in the areas that are going to get you to where you want to go? I can tell you. I'll use our own example. It's the easiest to talk about. Waterstone is making some big shifts towards what are the behavioral shifts, cultural shifts towards where we need to go. But we're not there yet. Our, we're a very externally focused culture. What I mean by that is our scores for, 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 you know, for our customer first, our scores for performance and drive, very, very high. Accountability, yeah. Accountability, not surprising. Um, but in terms of, of putting our people first, it's improved and substantially, but it's not where we need to be. You know, we would not be able to, I don't think, and I'm not afraid to say, you know, uh, win in our own award if today. We'd be, maybe we get close enough and aspirationally, that would be great. And so without changing who we are, we can't say tomorrow that we'll be people first. We're going to have to change our leadership. First of all, we have to see what that's going to be like and determine and, and create a story for change that, that, is, that, that is actually makes sense. We all love stories and they come with a, you know, a, with a hero and, and guide. We're often the guide, not the hero. In this story, we've got to be our own hero and, and, and guide ourselves along. But as we get through to that, we have to make some changes and we have to measure the progress of those changes, not just the outcomes of those changes. And so it will take some time. And we've already seen that one year in, those changes are starting to take root. And, and, and uh, one of the great things that, is, that, that we see in our own story is the fact that we have a high level of alignment to our purpose, but also we have incredible trust scores. So as we go down the path, we can be very transparent saying we're not there yet, but these are the things we're doing, or even listen to what people think we could be doing and maybe even adapt some of those things. So I think what's key is not only alignment to who you are today as organizations go through that, but an understanding of where they want to be. And there's a, there's a measurement in, in our culture, in our engaged culture survey, that's called the culture connection, where we ask people to score their own organization on this question. Does my organization's culture uh, enable me to be a high performer? And it's, if the answer is yes, there's a long drop down of why. And if it's no, there's a long drop down. The, the yes or no is very important and it's great to get a high score. But even with that, it's why. And if you look at if you're scoring high on the whys, but the whys aren't necessarily what you think can get you there, you've got some. And, and if you're not scoring as high and the reasons why are things that you think you're working on or you're aware of, there's equally a lot of lessons to be learned there. So, you know, measurement in itself is not enough. It's it's looking at what is being said. And, and we often find too that enhancing quantitative scores like that with some qualitative discussions allow uh, team members and organizations to share how they're feeling mm-hmm. and that's color to an opinion, which sometimes is, oh my God, I, I didn't score this very high, but I really see us getting there. Or, you know what, I scored us really high on that, but I'm, you know, because we are there, but I'm wondering if we should be. Sometimes that quantitative, qualitative feedback, if you will, which is why most of us, even those of us who've gone to business school 150 years ago, I, I remember saying, why am I studying qualitative and quantitative? Okay. Like, when am I ever going to use this? Oh my God. Uh, the reality is, uh, a lot. <laughs> yeah. 
and, uh, and, uh, and, and they both can really work, work effectively and well together. Absolutely, because data data obviously is is essential, the quantitative, but the qualitative provides the context, right? Some a little bit of the why behind the data that that can get so often lost. And and you know, just to to take us aside for a couple of minutes, uh, you know, uh, one of the organizations we were talking to today. Um, about qualitative pieces, they do culture chats, for example, right? Um, conversations that are either formal or informal to really understand how people are feeling about the culture, perceiving the culture, what they love about it, what what needs to change. Another, you know, important way of going about things, uh, Marty, as we, you and I have talked about, is stay interviews, right? We have organizations are, for the most part, very adept at at having exit interviews, but that's too late. <laughs> we, you know, we want to understand what will make people stay. Yeah, or um, even what is making them stay? Exactly. Right. I mean, why they're staying? Stay, or this is why I will stay. As you said, those are really, really important uh, tactics that can make a big difference. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so when we, you know, we're going to break in a minute and when we come back from break, uh, really want to drill down on the attributes of a culturepreneur, right? What are the, the ways in which leaders need to lead today? Be- those behaviors and practices that we need to be fanatically focused on, those table stakes practices that are no longer nice to have in this new world of work. So um, when we come back, we'll dive into the five attributes of the culturepreneur. Stay tuned. Voice America is on your favorite smart speaker. If you have Alexa or Google Home, go ahead and give us a try. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast on TuneIn. One of the many things this past year made clear is that the world of work has been forever changed, and it is especially evident in the way leaders must now lead if they want the best from their people. At the Waterstone Culture Institute, we provide leaders with the tools and practices most essential to high-performing teams and cultures. Discover the three things the most effective leaders will do in 2021 with our free webinar. Visit waterstonehc.com slash culturewebinar and watch it today. Things Worth Considering, featuring host Gord Riddell and Alexia Georgiousis, is a program that's all about connections. The connections we make with our families, our workplaces, friends, and others around us. It's also about connections to ourself, spirit, feelings, and stories. Let us connect with you each week to explore who we are and what we can be moving forward. We can overcome the obstacles that stand in our way. Things Worth Considering airs live every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. 5 p.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Empowerment. The White House Doctor makes house calls. Listen every week for House Calls with Dr. Connie Mariano. Dr. Connie has served as the White House physician under three U.S. presidents. Now she joins the Voice America Empowerment Channel to help you enrich yourself physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Our guests will include professionals from a variety of fields who will bring you tips that you can apply to your own life. Listen for House Calls with Dr. Connie every Thursday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. 
change, succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. You are tuned into Leading on Purpose with Nicole Bendeley. Discover more about Nicole and how the team at Waterstone Human Capital helps leaders to build high-performance teams and cultures at waterstonehc.com. Now, back to Leading on Purpose. All right, welcome back. Hey, before we dive back in, I really want to encourage you all to pick up a copy of Marty's book, The Culturepreneur. You know, this really is a handbook. Uh, I, I mean, I'm already, I, I'm fairly well-versed in leadership and culture, but my copy is dog-eared and underlined and written in the margins. And so I encourage you all to pick up a copy because it really is a handbook for leaders to to uh, have by their side as you build a high-performance culture and, and learn to, to lead in, in new ways. And these are really little shifts, right, Marty? It's not a full-scale <laughs> change to who you are and how you lead. It's small little incremental shifts in how we lead, right? So, so tell us about those, those attributes that are, that are most essential. You outline, outline five of them in the book. Let's start with psychological safety. And you touched on that um, earlier on as one of the key themes, but tell us a little bit more about what that means in the context of leading others. Sure, uh, and thank you for the kind comments on the book. Uh, you know, when someone is uh, is defiling a book, they're using it well. So uh, I really appreciate that, Nicole. Um, so I mean, you know, we we, we did hear uh, one of the key themes of psychological safety, and and we think um, we think it's it's such a incredible pivot for many leaders, um, especially those like me who kind of got there by by getting results to kind of then say, think about that for a second. You know, when, when, when you think of, of uh, creating an environment where people can get results, they're going to fail a lot along the way. So why not make it safe? <laughs> why not make it such that, um, that uh, you know, that people will contribute? Because the one thing about psychological safety, I still don't hear enough people talking about is how it impacts innovation or continuous improvement, innovation in my view being, you know, net new things uh, that, that solve a customer's needs, but, but continuous improvement never goes away and that there can be innovations in, in improving something that you're doing today. And it's, it's really hard to do if, if people don't, can't express. And, and most commonly, you know, the squeaky wheel gets the grease. People are the most expressive or extroverted. And there's just such great insight from the introverts who are observing and often not speaking up because they're not confident, but not speaking up because they're taking it all in. So creating that environment where people feel that they can share ideas. Uh, and sometimes you have to you know, use things like design thinking, all sorts of other great environments to allow people to have fun in doing it, see that it's safe. But, but mostly speaking, you can create an environment of psychological safety by, by really being um, transparent and authentic, even, uh, you know, even um, being vulnerable when it's appropriate and how. And that allows people to, as a leader, to say, hey, geez, you know, if, if she opens up and, and can speak like that, then maybe it's okay for me. Uh, it takes a long time to build trust and to, and to create an environment of psychological safety takes work. Some people just have it, you know, but they're in the minority. The, the, they're those unique people. And, and of course, they're different for all of us who make us feel that way. So, 
it is a skill and it is something to be worked on. And that's kind of the first attribute of the culturepreneur. And the next sounds so different that we call it accountability, but accountability is really about creating an interdependability for, for teams uh, where they can self-direct, self-assess, um, and, 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 and a system that enables them to do that. And, uh, you know, the deadlines and the resources and the information doesn't, it shouldn't only be one way. Sometimes there's, there's, there's better, and sometimes th- things can be done better, faster, and cheaper by opening it up. And sometimes when they aren't going to be as quickly as you'd like or in, in a cost-effective way, there's a way to get around that by, by again, uh, creating kind of a, a system of accountability. There's all sorts. We use RACI as a technique, but it's only to get to uh, an accountable team. And sometimes even thinking about or asking if this, who else should be a part of this team or how they want to be supported as opposed to being led uh, or who should lead. The third is really about meaning. And this is really interesting. We've talked around it and about this today, but you know, by understanding uh, individuals' passions, you can put together better teams, you can create better environments, but it's truly far more fun and far more productive to have people in roles where they're expressing their passions, right? There are at least some of them or exploring them. Um, and, and, and effectively, when people are doing more things that they love to do, they will be in alignment and uh, they will feel like it's okay to fail because it's, 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 it's fun, for them. Uh, You know, it's like watching, I remember watching, you know, it sounds, I remember watching my, my grandmother knit. Mm. It's kind of like a cliche of my grandmother knit, but you know, she was so relaxed uh, when she did it. She was so good at it. So effective at it. It was amazing to sit there and watch someone produce. Totally in flow, right? In the moment. Totally. And it's the same thing with anybody who is really you know, uh, pursuing a passion, you know, um, and, and being aligned in that way. And when it, when you can find that, that beautiful mix between their passions and the organization's purpose, their purpose and their meaning in the organizational purpose, boy, it's, it's special. Um, and again, it's, it's, it's not simple, but it's noble to get there in a journey. Perhaps one of the hardest for me is uh, personally, and, and many like me, is, is what we call impact. And it's really about recognizing contribution and not just results. I've talked a lot about this. So many of us got there, right? I got, how, how many times have you heard the, well, I worked hard my whole life and I got this and this is, you know, this is the result and this is what you get when you work hard. Well, I think we'd all get there faster if there was a little voice inside us or right beside us running saying, boy, that's great. I, you know, you're not there yet, but keep going. And I think about, you know, how, how society has evolved, certainly in the Western world, where we set, you know, we're in an actual place today and we set a goal and we get to this actual place tomorrow. Let's call it actual too. And then we achieve all of it or some of it. And, and then we get there. And we, we, if we don't achieve it all, we look and we live in this gap. We say, look at, I haven't quite gotten there yet. I'm, geez, I'm not there yet. As opposed to look at how far I've come. Mm-hmm. As the leaders, we need to shine the light on that contribution, on how far they're come, uh, how they're coming. That is really hard for some of us to do because it feels counterintuitive, and it's easy to use the analogy of the age of participation medals. But you know, in reality, is it works 
It, it, it brings joy. Recognizing contribution allows people to have impact. Having them un- and having an understanding of where their work matters. It really does align to what we talked about in meaning, but it's so important. And then the last is maybe more important than ever these days, and that's continuous learning. And the reality is this. You know, in, for many, many years, maybe the better part of the last hundred, big would eat the small. But today, the fast will eat the slow. And, and in order to be fast, you really have to learn and put some level of armor on to say, I can live in a world of ambiguity. I can live in a world of, of flexibility. I can live and try to be as resilient. And if we haven't learned that as a society at large in the last 14, going on 15 months, I don't know when we're ever going to learn it. But I think as leaders, ensuring that there's a constant understanding uh, of, uh, of an environment of, and some people will learn and other, uh, fast and others won't, uh, but also encouraging an environment, um, which, imp- which re- relates to impact, but of saying, hey, you know, we just got to keep picking it up, learning what we can, sharing that knowledge if you can, but also knowing that by the time we get there, it may have changed. And, you know, not just due to technology, it's due to the development of the human mind and, and, uh, and, and the, the speed of what we can accomplish. Think of this. Could we even eradicated a pandemic in a year? It's not eradicated, but, but have the solution. Could we have done that in the 1920s? No, we didn't. We couldn't. We didn't because we couldn't. Certainly things will happen faster to us, but we can resolve them faster as well. And that's the importance of continuous learning. And as leaders, it, it takes us to another level. So I think the combination at whatever levels, some of us are better at some of these, but employing these mm-hmm. is really important. And, uh, and, and you know, it, those are really the elements of a, co- a culture manure and what we teach in our building high performance teams and cultures uh, program. Yeah. And, and, you know, thank you, Marty. And, and those five attributes, you know, they, like you said, they used to be some of these nice to haves, right? The soft skills that, mm-hmm. oh, if a leader possessed them, then great, that's icing on the cake. But they, it, it, they're, the, they're the hard skills, actually, right? They're the most important skills. Um, and, and so, you know, I want to debunk a couple of things. You know, psychological safety can often be confused by a culture of nice, right? Um, when really at the end of the day, it's a culture of candidness and, and being honest and, and the freedom to be honest. And that is so essential to all of the other attributes. They're interrelated. Um, and so, you know, I guess it, it, we talked about this earlier. It's little shifts. So where should a leader start, Marty? You know, um, when at looking at themselves, at looking at their teams, um, I know we start with an underpinning of communication and understanding communication style. Is that a place to start or what would you suggest? Yeah, I think, it, you know, it, it, there's a lot we can learn from what we're doing with organizations right now. And it starts, you know, in my first book um, called Culture Connection, you know, the first chapter was entitled Know Thyself. Mm-hmm. It was about organizations, but the same uh, with, with leaders. And I think we truly have to understand what we're good at. Um, what our natural communication style, not as necessarily as we see it, but as is perceived by others, uh, uh, you know, uh, and, and, and not necessarily change it as much as be aware of what about that is strong and what about that can be, can be overwhelming uh, at times uh, or underwhelming. <laughs> Right. <laughs> uh, and I think that's really, really important. And we often start with using a behavioral profile, having some discussion, 
And I think today more than ever, leaders are more aware, maybe not as aware as they need to be, but they're certainly aware of their styles. Are they as aware of the impact of that? You know, I, I oftentimes my passion and drive and enthusiasm can create what I call a motorboat syndrome. And that is, you know, if, if I'm moving hard and charging fast and passionate in one way or another, it, I can sometimes create a wake behind me that pushes people away. Mm-hmm. Now, unless you've got a, you know, you've got a great surfboard and you get inside that wake. Um, if you do, it's easy sailing. If you just kind of get it and you can, you know, cause you're right in that in, drafting within that wake and it's, it's awesome. You can even get pushed forward, but that, that doesn't work for everybody. Your biggest strengths can be your biggest weaknesses. So I think it starts with communication skills and then it comes down to really unlocking, understanding, not, it'll take a long time by collecting notes and having conversations. You, you need some tools and some tools. We, we have something called the playbook. It really allows us to understand what people's passions are. They tell us what their loves are, what their goals are, their aspiration. And, and, you know, some, some people come back and say, I've never had to do this before, let alone in the, business place in my life. Um, and, it, and it's not always that easy, but it is a wonderful mechanism to understand each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, uh, and, and I say each other because leaders need to share theirs. Uh, it's, leadership isn't a one-way street. Um, you have to want to be led. You have to want to lead. Sometimes as the leader, you need to be the follower. So understanding ourselves and understanding our team members are absolutely integral to, uh, to any platform of success as a culture entrepreneur. And, and, and Marty, as we wrap up, what is, what is your hope, you know, through this book, through, you know, for the, the organizations and leaders we support, um, what is your hope for CEOs and their leaders? Yeah, what a great question. Um, it's going to sound simplistic, but, but I have two. Um, I think it's in this order, and this is not the two, this is one, this is the first one is people and profits. I think helping, um, Helping people become better uh, is, is incredible and understanding even if nothing works and this, you, you, you determine that maybe this isn't a person who's a great fit for that organization, they're a great fit somewhere and they're going to learn more about themselves and you more about them and, and that deeper connection builds deeper understanding and bridges. And, but I, also, I, know not, uh, I know that this will also in alignment by, with putting your culture at the center of strategy, the how will drive the what. Mm-hmm. And organizations will be more successful. And at the root core of who I am, I'm a capitalist. And I believe that, um, that, that you know, when we have the improvement uh, that's driven by organizations and businesses, it will improve society. I happen to be a social Democrat too. I choose to live in the country that I'm in and, and believe that, but that we need to take care of each other. But it starts with understanding each other. Uh, I think the second uh, thing for CEOs and leadership teams, and, and this we've uh, this we've this happened to us by creating Canada's most admired. We really do have an aspiration because it's come to us to help Canadian organizations by sharing best practices on culture in the center of their operating systems and driving outcomes. Culture's competitive advantage, in other words, we believe that it can you know help Canadian competitiveness on a global scale. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, eventually we won't be talking about Canadian competitiveness. We'll be talking about just better organizations, better workplaces, um, and better people as a result. And the more connections we have, uh, not just within our cultures and organizations, but within other cultures, uh, all you need to do is look at the news and what's going on in Gaza right now to have it break your heart, to say that 
I don't have the many, many smarter people than I don't have the solutions, but if we, if we had better connections and understanding of people, um, uh, you know, maybe those things wouldn't happen as often. And so as the world gets smaller, I think we should, uh, we, we should also get safer and better. Um, and, and, uh, but at a minimum, I think uh, you'll have better people. You'll, you'll have higher profits. Uh, it'll be more fun. And I think by sharing what you do really well with others, organizations will be better. And people will say, you know what? Um, I'm going to stay here, foster here and grow here. Or I'm going to create my own organization, which also, uh, you know, fosters a lot of growth. So, uh, you know, those may sound like heady goals, but hey, why not? No, you got to have them. That's awesome. Thank you so much, Marty. Thank you for joining and sharing uh, your insights. And for more information, please go to waterstonehc.com and we'll stay tuned. We'll see you next week. Take care, everybody. Thank you for joining us this week. Please tune in again for another edition of Leading on Purpose with your host, Nicole Bendeley, on the Voice America Empowerment Channel next Monday at 12 noon Pacific Time and 3 p.m. Eastern Time. Have a wonderful week.